0: This is the Soil Sense podcast, where we believe that building healthier soils is not just a prescription, but rather a pursuit. It's a journey that requires collaboration, curiosity, and communication among farmers, researchers, agronomists, consultants, and extension. You're going to hear their stories and discover how and why they're working together to make sense out of what's happening in the soil. Hey, glad you're back with us for season two of Soil Sense. I'm your host, Tim Hammerich, and I hope you had a chance to listen to all 16 episodes of season one. I'm sure excited to bring you more stories of soil health innovation and collaboration this season. And there isn't a more perfect episode, in my opinion, to kick off season two than this one, because it combines several of the themes that this podcast is all about, such as voluntary collaboration based on mutual respect and understanding of two people who aren't necessarily forced to work together, a look at where The Science Behind Soil Health Meets the Practicality of Trying to Implement Some of These Principles, The Challenges and Opportunities of Embracing Soil Health as a Pursuit, and make sure you stick around to the end because we're going to get into some talk about incorporating livestock into the system and some success stories from local producers that have made big changes in the past uh, 20 years or so. You're going to hear today from Tim Becker, who has farmed in Eddy County since about 1990 and was also a longtime county extension agent before taking early retirement last year year to farm full-time. Along with Tim, you're going to hear from Jason Vollmer, who also farms, but uh, is a full-time local agronomist for Allied Agronomy. Jason and Tim represent an all-too unusual collaboration between Extension and Ag Retail. Tim's going to start our conversation off by describing how he first became interested in soil health.
1: For me, it started quite a while ago. I've been no-tilling at the farm for, since 2000, But in extension, I was seeing the soil health stuff even before that. I started extension back in 1990, so I saw a lot was going on in different parts of the state, and just you watch what farmers were doing at the time, and and you saw that they were making some things work that were just really intriguing, and and you know, is is just putting your system together, and and at the farm, and I've been trying to adopt some of those practices, and back when I first got started would have been right around 1991 I went out to a conference in Beach North Dakota it was fields of tomorrow put on by Monsanto and that was the, my earliest um, remembrance of, of really looking at soil health when they were trying to figure out how to do no-till before we really had you know roundup was just starting to come in at that time and and so there was you know guys were trying to figure out how to make this thing work and it just kind of was intriguing and there was just so many early adopters that were were doing it and and, uh, it was, it, you know, fun. It just, it, it just kind of blew up at the time. And, and uh, guys that were doing it were making it work and they just seemed like they were, you know, excited about it. And it, you saw you know, back in a time when farming was, you know, maybe not real profitable, you know, coming out of the eighties and you saw these guys all had a twinkle in their eye, just like they, almost like they had a research program going on at their own farm and they were excited. And you just saw a whole different outlook on farming. Yeah, and that was kind of what got me going was just the people that were doing it just had a different attitude about agriculture at the time.
0: While Tim was taking notice of the farmers he was working with as an extension agent, Jason Vollmer was taking notice of some of the same farmers who were also his clients as an agronomist.
2: Oh, I I would say that the soil health aspect probably uh, was more of an analytical thing from myself when I was going through a uh, fertilizer Rex and watching different practices on some of my clients. So one would have a, a lot of nutrients left where the next guy would be depleted even though they had a similar uh, nutrient management plan as far as the inputs that they put out there. So it create, started creating some questions for me is why is this happening? Why, why, are we, why is this one field uh, always so fertile and never hardly using anything that's given to it and the next one is always deficient? Um, that probably keyed me because there was something else going on and for so long our, in our fertility recommendations we think of it as a linear effect and it's that is wrong I mean there's so many other things that are going on now can do we have all the answers today absolutely not we just know that preconceived uh, fertilizer guidelines and thought processes uh, it's not linear so there there's a lot more more to it than uh, than that, And it's actually an exciting time to watch a guy take off a bumper corn crop with an average input and have enough there to support a next year's average, average corn crop. And that's what you see when you start to monitor the available nutrients on some soil tests and some of the stuff that's available uh, with guys that have an actively uh, healthy soil.
0: Jason and Tim started noticing similar things in their farmers and eventually started collaborating together. The partnership started in a very appropriate place for a couple of farmers—the local coffee gathering spot.
1: I think it almost started over coffee, didn't it? Um, they used to kind of have a group of farmers that would show up over coffee in the morning on a, at their their seed plant, and I would start, you know, showing up. There'd be farmers there. It's you know, right away in the morning, at eight o'clock, and I'd pop in and have a cup of coffee with them. And I don't know, it just kind of seemed to grow to a group of farmers that would always show up too, and a conversation and the questions would start and. I don't know, we'd field a lot of questions together and you know, what he didn't know, I'd know and, and vice versa. And it just seemed like we got a good working relationship that way and and we seemed like we had a pretty good group of farmers that would show up every morning too with us. And I think that's kind of how it got started in a way. And and then over time, we just realized that, you know, hey, you do you want to do a program together? And uh, we both had a mutual interest in soil health and cover crops and, and that type of thing. And, and back in the early days of cover crops, uh, kind of got into you buying some sugar beet seed that was uh, cheap sugar beet seed that we were putting into cover crop mixes and I don't know we just it grew into doing some programming together and it seemed like you know I didn't have a way at meetings to um, really fund the meeting being extension we don't have a big budget and so you know I put the program together with Jason's help or vice versa and he'd kind of back bankroll the, the meal and um you know he'd send out to his clientele and I'd send out to mine and a lot of times they were the same people and I don't know it just grew into a good relationship. We found that over time every week, every couple weeks we'd jump in a vehicle and do a tour of the county and meet with some farmers and go look at some crops and some weeds and check some things out and have a you know kind of a you know Friday afternoon session of getting out and seeing what's going on in the county. And I don't know a pretty good friendship I think started out of it and and we found that, you know, we can fight each other for a clientele and, and and programming and that type of thing. Or we can work together and make a, a total program better. And it seemed like the farmers kind of really latched onto that too and, and um, liked it. So for Tim Becker,
0: he got some help in offering sound advice to farmers and a funding collaborator on some of his projects. But how does all this help Jason, whose job it is to offer solutions, often in the way of products, to his farmers?
2: Our allied uh, agronomy is a full-service ag retail, so we'd sell any, anything, seed, chemical, um, fertilizer, uh, cover crop, grass seed, What basically any input that uh, a farmer would need in our area, we, we would be uh, the means of supplying it. What we don't supply is where Tim came in is some of the knowledge on, on uh let's say government programming insurance stuff some of the uh, and then tim obviously did the pesticide training and some of that stuff so there was a real synergy between uh, extension and and a, a, an agronomy center there um we weren't uh, uh i see, would see some things that he didn't have time to go out onto the field and i could take them to him later on whether it was a weed spectrum shift within the county or or um some fertility things that I saw that was happening that he would not have been uh, able to gather on his own. Yet at the same token, the university wanted to know those things. So it, it really did work, or does work quite well.
0: Now, if you're hearing this and never really thought about the cooperation between extension and private ag retail, this all might sound somewhat obvious to you. But as Jason will tell you, it's really not as common as you might think.
2: Uh, probably not so common at the time, uh, especially when you look at the history of uh, extension versus uh, the local independent agronomists. We were uh, we re- we kind of took over the field that the extension started back in the 60s and 70s, and uh, we kind of specialized that the agronomy world was specialized by independent agronomists. Um, and growers kind of migrated over to us because we tied it into sales of uh, our the input sales that went onto to the ground.
1: One thing I've always appreciated about Jason is the fact that I think he's realized a long time ago that his job is to make farmers more profitable and being more if he's working for the farmer to be more profitable that's not always making the sale and I mean you've said that all along it's kind of the soil health aspect um, sometimes um, you know, trying to cut back on fertility and things like that is not really what a salesman should be doing. Um, but on the backside is along that side, he might be selling cover crop seed. So you, know, you realize real fast, what's good for the farmer ultimately in the end is gonna be good for him and his business. So you know, and so that always worked out really well that, you know, um, I've always thought he had his head in the right place with, with some of that stuff. And, and, and I think, you know, the backside is I farm too. He farms. So we also see that side of things that, you know, things are tough right now. You know, we, we see things that maybe would work or are gonna work and, and uh, you know, you try to to go off of what we're actually doing at home and, and what we think farmers will work for them. And, uh, you know, I think more than anything, we spent time just throwing a lot of ideas around. You know, what about this? What did this work? I, I read this on the internet last night. What do you think of this? So we spent a lot of time, I think, you know, kind of just BSing back and forth between us and throwing different ideas around. And again, he's got livestock too, and I've got livestock, and and so just throwing different ideas from the cropping side over to the livestock side, and how do we make this crop work for the livestock, and yet still get a cash grain crop to sell? And and so we're always throwing ideas and. Well, I you know. right, and I I don't
2: like we can't be in 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 the agronomy. Uh, egg retail sector we can't be so naive as not to understand that the world evolves and changes and I don't know what the future holds I do know that when you take an approach that you're not a salesman necessarily as a consultant you look at look at those areas a little bit different um, for example why would why would you just want to sell cover crop would be uh, at the very inception of the soil health movement was one of the Uh, pullbacks probably from uh, the basic, our suppliers, our ag retail suppliers. Well, that's, um, they probably, before our memory, probably went through the same thing when it was, why do you want to uh, go from bag fertilizer to bulk fertilizer? Or why do you want to uh, sell herbicide when you can use the cold steel chisel or the moldboard plow? egg is always evolving and, and we have to have a futuristic look yet be grounded in the present.
0: Tim and Jason first started collaborating on putting on grower winner meetings. They would bring in industry experts as well as university researchers together for the farmer's benefit. Then it just grew from there.
1: That was the main one but you know, it kind of grew into more. We got into doing, you know, adding in some cover crop or soil health type of meetings that would kind of get incorporated into some of those meetings. Um, and then it got into more, um, you know, just going out and meeting with farmers individually. Um, you know, we'd get in the vehicle and drive out and pop in with a farmer that had some questions on something and it seemed like we'd always come around to trying to push some soil health on them or have you thought of this or how about doing this to make this work? And you know, we had a few of those. We got one that, still calls us both um quite often and uh you haven't been out for a while come on out and pick jason up on the way i mean or he's coming out tomorrow at 9 8 can you stop by you know so you got to be some farmers i think you know realize that you know we got to be somewhat their go-to people when they had questions
2: yeah i would say it wasn't necessarily always a structured meeting like you were talking about a lot of it was Tim, I got something to show to you, or he wanted to show me something, and we'd call up, and we'd go out one-on-one and, and visit growers and and uh, and see what's going on in their fields and, and give them some explanations. And, and if it needed to be passed up to people within our industry, uh, we would pass it on. If not, we would give a two-pronged uh, perspective on it, I guess.
0: The two would utilize each other's strengths and areas of expertise. And I'm not sure what things looked like clear back at the beginning, but sitting down to interview them now, it's like each one knows exactly when they should speak up or let the other take the lead. I asked them to share what areas of expertise they most often lean on each other to help with.
1: A lot of times for me, it was probably chemical. You know, he was selling, working with chemical every day, he got out and saw every day what was working. I'd get a phone call and a, uh, you know, got this weed. How do I control it? And, you know, I could go to the book and the the rates, but a lot of times I think I'd call him up and say, what do you see that's working? What are you guys using? And so a lot of times, I think for me, it was probably around the chemical, weed control chemical, that type of thing.
2: Yeah, There was probably things on that area where I would see uh, uh, where my resources, which was locally generated, we'd see a tolerance on a certain chemistry that wasn't wasn't working where it necessarily didn't say that before there was a resistance. Um, but on Tim, I really relied heavily on um, uh, a few things, actually. There was some, uh, um, one was uh, whether it was some soil conservation programming and also on uh, government programs, crop insurance, uh, because uh, risk management to the grower, uh, so to speak, because that when we got into that, we needed to know how much the grower could uh, on managing risk and going back and forth. And Tim had a, uh, in, in my side of the business, I didn't have the resources to, to gather that, where, where Tim was very uh, fluent on that side.
0: After decades of collaboration and helping farmers from both the public sector and the private sector points of
1: view, what has changed in Eddy County? A lot less tillage for some. Yeah. And uh, a lot more openness to looking at. Cover crops, um, tillage practices.
2: Yeah, I would I would say that that is true. And one thing that I noticed because I work with a wide spectrum from full tillage to uh, 100% no-till to some that have cover crop to some that would would uh, still do some some uh, uh, fallow. The one thing that I can say is in conversations I have with clients on all spectrums, there's they watch their uh, those no-till systems and those cover crop systems, the guys that currently aren't doing harder than they would let anybody know. Why is he doing this? Why is it going on? And and I think that is for me, that is kind of uh, uh, rewarding. Not that I'm pushing them in, in that way because it ultimately is their choice. It's because I want them to be aware and open up to new, new innovative ideas.
1: You'll find that the tillage guys, the strictly tillage guys, are watching the no-till guys or the minimum till guys, and and at times I think trying to figure out ways to rip it apart. But yet they're still watching it, and they're they're intrigued by it, and they they want to tear it apart, but sometimes have a hard time tearing it apart. And I think well, you know why is that working? Why are they able to do this? And so. You know that's where we come in sometimes and say, well, what they're trying to do is this and and that and and you know they're making it work because they're they're saving here but they're giving up here and and so guys are watching the soil health thing even if they don't want to do it they're watching it
2: hard. And I would agree. I think they're, they're probably their limitation is the 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 tillage guys is probably I wouldn't say that they're. Uh, necessarily their mind is closed to it but they want to see tangible results and the soil health part of it for them to measure something three to five years down the road is very hard for them to put their hands around at you know at year one they want so a lot of them only see fuel savings you know one pass that type of thing so it's not uh, what they're gaining in their soil because they have no measuring stick to measure it right now.
0: For those farmers that are watching and maybe wondering, or really even for those that aren't, what barriers still exist out there that prevent more farmers from experimenting with some of these soil health-building practices?
2: Every farmer that I, I deal with, it, they're a great steward of, the, of their land. They just don't know what direction they're going to go with it. Um, after all, I, you know, this is maybe this is one thing that kind of frustrates me from a. Um, Uh, people outside of agriculture is is that they don't understand that that ground is their asset their life their lifeblood they do not intentionally destroy their ground in any sense so it's an asset no different than someone driving a car into the tree just because they think it's a fun thing to do they don't do that now at what at what um, rate do they convert over to soil health I think uh, one thing that is in soil health, the soil health movements probably benefit is, is that when we had these good times, there was no incentive to, to become more efficient or to look for a new, a new avenue to increase revenue or efficiency or so forth. Um, tough times usually bring change upon operations, some good, some bad, but I think, I think they're Guys are going to get down when they get done with their budgets in this, this winter and they're going to say, We got to do something different for, for a three or a five year plan. And I, I do think that they're looking at any avenue possible to improve their operation.
1: One of the hard things, too, I think, is old habits die hard. You know, this is the way grandpa did it, this is the way dad did it, this is the way I'm going to do it. We've made money, we've been successful. And so, you know, change comes hard sometimes. And so I think that's one of the battles that a lot of guys fight is just, isn't the way we've ever done things. And, and then on the backside of that is, is, you know, you might see some of them that want to make a change for, you know, toward more soil health, but on the backside, like we said earlier, is, is the economic side of it. Sometimes that a- economic benefit isn't this year and it isn't next year. And it might be three years, five years, 10 years down the road. And some guys don't have time to do that 10 years down the road. Um, you know, to wait for that that economic benefit, and so why should I change if I'm not if I'm making money doing what I'm doing? And now that economic times get hard, and we've always joked around a little bit, the time you should be making changes is when you got good times, when you can afford to make those changes. But why would you change if you're making money and doing what you're doing? So you wait till the bad times, where you got to make some changes, serious changes based on your economics. But now I can't really afford to make the changes I've wanted to make. So, really, you know during the good times we should be looking at making those changes for when the next round of, you know, tougher financial times come so that we're ready and prepared because it does take years to, to reap those benefits of, of soil health. And so, so that's why I think we've always been pushing it, just constantly pushing soil health is, is the fact that, you know, somewhere along the line, if you start adapting, um, these processes slowly, you know, you'll slowly see some, some, some benefits from them and, and, uh, hopefully it'll make change over time.
0: And this is the reason we often refer to building soil health as a pursuit. It's because those that are seeing the benefits have typically made continuous changes over time and are always wondering what they can do next to continue their soil health journey. So what's next for Tim and Jason's area? Well, it may involve bringing some livestock back to cropping systems.
2: Tim and I have talked about this in the past that we think incorporating livestock into the cropping system is a is a, a crucial component to soil health. And I think our area will be more adaptive to it than, say, uh, Cass county, just because of of our multiple diversity in, in cropping the way it is.
1: That's what I would have said, too, is just the livestock because of the diversity of our area. we've We've got a local producer that's actually going to be on the program here today. Um, or tomorrow, uh, talking with Jason on uh, you know, incorporating livestock in his operation. He is a purely crop producer, and he wants livestock. And he said he said all along, I really don't want to become a cattleman. He did buy us some livestock last year, but he's trying to incorporate cover crops and grazing on his land to try to improve his, his base. And uh, he's done some intriguing things, but uh, he, he saw the need to have livestock on his ground, but he's not necessarily wanted to own the livestock. And so I think we might see some of those partnerships, um, increased on the road, um, with a few people, um, looking at ways to, to make things work.
2: Uh, yeah, Mike, Mike, Mike uh, did a incredible, uh, a job identifying that he could generate more revenue on an acre by running some livestock versus, uh, grain farming, uh, that on the first year, but the follow-up years is where he really sees his benefit off of his improvement in his crop production. So he's got some interesting takes on it and uh, uh, I, I actually applaud him uh, for uh, recognizing that opportunity and doing something that was totally
1: untraditional. To a point where his dad thinks he's, I mean, I think sometimes thinks he's nuts. I think some of the neighbors thinks he's nuts, but but he's he's made money doing it, and he's going to try and rotate livestock through his operation um, with some portable fences and things like that. But he's trying to figure out a way to make money with grazing to benefit his land base for crop production. And so I think we're going to see more of that starting to take hold. Um, you know, the cover crop's been growing exponentially, I think, every year. Yeah. I,
2: I I think what my, one of the things that happens there is is that in our geography because we do raise cereal grains and some of that, our you know we talk about uh, photo capture, but we're limiting it to the above ground growth. Where the guys that have started seeing the soil health is they're worried about photo capture during the growing season, pumping it into the soil. So having something living out there and getting that at all times. Uh, we recognize that a lot more because we don't have full season crops in our area on every acre. Uh, So I think that's one of the reasons
1: that the... the I think what you're saying, Jason, is, is, you know, our our small grain crops come off in August. But we have the rest of August, September, October, and some years even into a little bit of November is that photo capture, trying to, you know, have something out there at all times during the growing season, whether or not it's a grain crop or a cash crop, but having something grow. After that crop comes off,
0: we were definitely able to cover quite a bit of ground in this interview, no pun intended, but I think one of the biggest takeaways still comes back to how well these two guys seem to work together. I asked each of them to provide their best advice for how other extension agents, agronomists, and farmers might collaborate more effectively.
1: Well, I would say to young, any agents or younger agents, um, like Jason and I talked, is, you know, we're, not, we're both working for the same goal as we're working for the farmer. And, you know, instead of trying to run separate programs and, and, you know, two heads are better than one, and I do think your clientele will always see you working together and and like that. Um, and I've just found that working together, you always get more done working together than you do working by yourself. And so you always have somebody that, to, to throw ideas at, um, somebody to, you know, critique what you're doing or, you know, give you some feedback. And uh, I, I just... I, you're always going to come out ahead uh, finding that person you can work with. And so um, I just, I think, found that uh, working with Jason uh, over the years has just always, it's benefited my program a lot. Um, and so I, I for any young agent or any agent, extension agent, um, you know, looking at that, I want to figure out where to go with their programming. You know, look at those resources within your county and try to find ways to, to not, you know, Work against or work different programs. Maybe work the, you know your jobs, but work with somebody uh, to the to the better, the greater good.
2: Well, I, I think uh, working with the extension or your local, it's another resource that your clients have. So I don't understand the thought process of trying to be in conflict with them. I mean, it's it's a if you're looking for the betterment of your your clients' interests. Um, that is a resource that they have and they will use. So why not be in partnership with them and use them to help validate some of your information and maybe help pull out, we used to call it fairy dust. There's all kinds of uh, products out there that just are fairy dust. They don't they don't make sense and, and uh, the Extension can help validate some of the products that are out there. And there's no reason not to
1: use them, in my opinion. Jason, I've got a couple of producers that I think we both will know who we're talking about in the county that have gone from moldboard plow 20 years ago to pure no-till right now. And I can honestly say they're more profitable now. Um, you look at the line of equipment they're running now, um, and their generation has joined the operation um, on, on a couple of them. And just where they've gone from black tillage, and some of them, one of them over plow, one of them just black tillage, and now they're they're running no-till drills, and just how that operation has changed over time, and and whether that's from us working with them, or we like to think it had something to do with us working with them, but we were along for the ride, and just to see where they've gone from from one end of the spectrum to the other end of the spectrum. And a lot of times they will give us credit for, for... you know, steering them in that direction. And, and uh, it's it's fun to see and, and see them get excited about it.
0: Fun to see indeed. Thanks so much to Tim Becker and Jason Vollmer for sharing their time, insights and experiences with us on the podcast. Thanks as always to the North Dakota Corn Council and the North Central Sustainable Agriculture Research and Education Program for making this podcast series possible. Do you know anyone out there even remotely interested in soil health? please just text them the link to this podcast. We really appreciate you helping us spread the word. Very excited to get back to our once per week schedule for this season. Subscribe and join us for a variety of interesting perspectives on soil health.